You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to Series 9, Episode 55 of Scottish Football Forums podcast. We've reached the 55. I'm good, John, and uh, I'm, tonight we've got regular um, contributor Chris. Mm-hmm. Going for 55, and who did we get back for that? <laughs> yes, so um, as we've alluded to, we're, we've got another special guest on. Um, nobody famous in terms of former footballers this time, but we do have the director of podcasting for this podcast, Craig. Welcome back. Hello, thanks for thanks for asking me back. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to come on. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, we've been trying. I think it's been over two years since you were last on. Um, yeah, you've been hibernating. It's been, a, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's weird. I'm a, I'm a man of routine, and for many years I used to come on the podcast and uh, have a, a really good time and have quite a few drinks while I was doing it. And then my routine changed, and I started going to the gym really early, so I was getting up about half five. And I don't know about used to, but after we have the podcast, I don't know why, but my mind is buzzing. I really I can't get to sleep. I, I leave the podcast wide awake, buzzing because I've enjoyed it so much. Uh, so there's no chance I'm getting to sleep and there's no chance I'd be able to get up at half five. <laughs> Fair enough. So basically what you're saying is you had to give up the podcast for sleep. <laughs> exactly that, yes. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll be buzzing after um, after this one. As we're, going, we're going back in time. We're going back 13 years for a Throwback Thursday <laughs> special. Yes. Um, so, so um, yeah, it sounds like a long time ago. It doesn't seem that long. So, season 2007-2008. And the reason why I wanted to do this one um, in particular, because when you think about it, that was a season that gave Scottish football... A lot of hope because you had three teams in Europe beyond Christmas. One of them getting to a European final, and the national team were punching well above our weight and almost qualified for year 2008. And after the group of death scenario with um, World Cup finals to the previous year in it, and you thought, well, this could be the start of something. Hasn't quite turned out that way, although um, the season that's um, just been abruptly halted had some um, degree of hope with Celtic and Rangers doing all right in the Europa League getting through past Christmas but in the intervening period it hasn't quite turned out the way 2007-2008 promised I must say the Angels might get past two Christmases and I said don't think because they're still in a Europa League right now but <laughs> still in it it's, it's becoming farcical isn't it uh, I, I don't know it's very quiet about European football they keep talking about is it going to be a one-off game that decides each tie and I, I don't know, that sounds a little bit unfair when uh, Bayer Leverkusen are, are, are favourites going to progress. Is the first leg scrapped? Is it is this one-off tie in Germany? Where is it? Maybe it's uh, just for Ibrox, you could have it and it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's weird. I, I don't know. It's like all of this. I don't think there's any, any fair way of doing it. Uh, because there's lots of... The, the footballers, especially in Scottish football, what, what have they been doing? You talk about match sharpness. That's that's gone out the window now. There's, there'll be nothing left in the tank. 
I think, to be perfectly honest, um, it will never happen. Uh, you know, we're clutching at straws here, but I think UEFA should just scrap this season's um, Champions League and Europa League. Let the nations accumulate what they've got in terms of um, the coefficient points up to the games played now, um, because they're they're talking about fin- trying to finish these competitions in you know July and August, and at the same time they're wanting the competitions for next season to start. So, you know, like, how's, that just, how's that work for Rangers? Yeah, Rangers could be in the scenario busy. where they're playing the UEFA Cup, so Europa League game um, last 16, and playing the Europa League first qualifying round at the same time. <laughs> and what if Rangers miraculously came back and went on to win the tournament? Why are they playing qualifiers? <laughs> exactly that, yes. I, well, anything can happen. I, 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 it's just it's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it was bizarre. Of course, um, you're dreaming of Rangers getting to a European final. Well, that actually did happen. Um, but yeah, so back in 2007-2008, Celtic and Rangers both started in Champions League qualification and they got through. Um, Rangers put Red Star Belgrade 1-0 over, over both legs. Um, Craig, what was your recollections of, of that? Well, before we go into this season 0708 do you know when you asked me to come on for some reason I, I was thinking I'm never going to remember any, anything that happened because I thought you'd said to me 97, 98 and I, all this time I've been thinking this is Chris on the wind up Chris has thought right we're going to we're going to, we're going to ask Craig on and then we'll just talk about that season and then we'll talk about how he enjoyed the, the running I'm like what no 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 that's not right but then I realised that you, I tweet this morning, it's 0708, when there was some positive Rangers news in that, in that season. Do you uh, think you would, do you know, fair play if you said you were going to come on for 97-98, um, but we won't do that. I thought it was, there was still some talking points, Marco Negri and so on, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I was thinking that Chris was on the wind up. Okay, I've seen that tweet earlier. <laughs> to be fair, we could start with the same kind of thing. So, um, obviously, uh, the, the previous season looked pretty good under Walter Smith. So, did you think things were going to go well? <laughs> <laughs> I, but it has been nice, though, uh, Like looking back to, to Walter Smith's time at Rangers. I know there's uh, a lot of people will look on and say that he was quite a, a negative outlook, especially when playing in Europe. And uh, I can't really argue with that, but uh, especially this season highlighted the, the fact getting to a European final, for me, that doesn't really matter. Uh, that's, it doesn't stand out for me how we played to get there, how we maybe ground out results. It was actually getting there was enough. So uh, it's, it's been a, a pleasure thinking about that. That's one of the reasons I've been excited about this. It's all the memories of are slowly flooding back, and I'm hoping as we chat about this, more more will come to. Yeah. In yes. all seriousness, you, you must have gone into that season with a lot of hope because what Celtic had ran away with the league the previous season, the 06 07, it was pretty much done by Christmas, and Paul Aguin was a disaster. Uh, the Brits was pretty much right, it was done in the first place. But Walter Smith came in, steadied the ship, um, and actually seemed to have won over Celtic. Going into that, so we kind of stumbled over the line in the end. Um, yep. So you're coming into that new season thinking, okay, we've got Walter Smith back. He's started really well. What can he start? What can he do from the get go? 
Yeah, yeah, well, there's definitely a lot of positivity. The the saviour, if you like, uh, and even nowadays there's there's a uh, there's people that would have them back to to steady the ship when we were on our on our journey. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, aye, it was it was special. Uh, it, was, it was it was really good. And you look at the the squad that we had as well. There was uh, plenty of decent players in there. Uh, plenty of decent players that are that are still still doing the rounds actually. Carlos Queller was always a, a standout in that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, oh, mostly for good reasons, but not always. <laughs> yes, ah, he, was, uh, he was good banter. The fans certainly took to him. Uh, I can't remember the words of the song, the song about him, about, uh, about his good looks, but, but yeah, he was, he was a character. <laughs> Yeah, um, the Rangers got the um, you know were first into the Champions League because they played the Tuesday, got the nil nil they needed against. Uh, I can't remember what Red. I always refer them as Red Star. That's my name. He's chat. I think I can't remember what they were called. No seven oh eight, and then Celtic the next night. Um, it just means Red Star. That, that was it. Yeah, and then the next night Celtic got. Um, it was a dramatic one for Celtic going through in penalties against Spartak Moscow and then you've got two um, Scottish teams in the Champions League for the first time since um, 03 04. And I, just a wee start for that one, that was Celtic's first ever win in Europe in penalties. Really? Because uh, I, I, we, we, our first one was like against Inter Milan in what, 1972. Um, and we lost that. And then I was at one a few years previous to this against Valencia. Um, on the same night that Rangers beat PSG on penalties, from what I remember. Um, the both, it was weird because both teams went to penalties and because we just lost to Valencia, came out of that game, heard the radio that Rangers went through in penalties. <laughs> I think I think it wasn't just European. It's, um, it was a first Celtic penalty shot win. I don't remember many domestic ones. I mean, obviously there's the Aberdeen Cup final, there's the Airdrie in the League Cup in ninety one, ninety two. There's the Wraith Rovers Cup final. I wondered why you missed the Ali Graham uh, podcast. Um, so <laughs> yeah, your history, your history wasn't great, but uh, no, there was, was, right was definitely one. There was definitely one before us where Celtic beat Thistle in penalties because to this day it's still the worst penalty shoot I've ever seen. Eighteen penalties taken, only nine of them were scored. <laughs> Thistle had three attempts to put Rangers, uh, put Celtic out and go through, and uh, never managed it. I vaguely remember that. But, yeah. but uh, this was the first time we'd won penalties in Europe. Mm-hmm. And we remember the Arthur Boric Jazz Hands celebration at the end. <laughs> but even even that two-legged tie was pretty weird because we took the lead in Moscow pretty early through Paul Hartley. Um, got pegged back. We had a chance near the end of it. I think it was Scott Brown, actually, um, who wasted it. Um, so we came back, at, well, one each for Moscow, which was a great result. Um, and then there was a penalty. I think both us and Spartak had a penalty. Um, missed in the 90 minutes or probably it was 120 minutes um, during the second leg um, so yeah it's odd that there was, was penalties missed in the actual game and then I'm sure very good Hessler missed a penalty in the game but scored in the shootout right. I, thought, I thought for some reason Sorry, I thought for some reason um, it was Scott McDowell that missed but I'm picturing the wrong game but I'm sure we'll come back to that game later on Um but yeah, I remember it being Vinegar Hessling. He put it over the bar, didn't he? Or hit the bar and went over? I think he hit the ball. Yeah. I remember either. But yeah, it was. Um, remember that celebration with Tommy Burns, and yes, for yeah, for both of them to get through was was great. Um, for well, Scottish football, it was it was so special those times when you had the the games on the the Tuesday Wednesday, 
And uh, I know there's a lot of rivalry, and there'll be some Rangers and some Celtic fans who who would who want the uh, rival to be knocked out as early as possible. But it was so special having that Tuesday Wednesday to look forward to every week, uh, cheering on Rangers and in uh, uh, slightly the opposite when Celtic were playing. But it was something to look forward to. There was such a buzz uh, around the, the the offices and the schools uh, looking forward to these. Whereas now, it just doesn't feel the same, especially since we're playing on the, the same night on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same as it used to be. We used to be at the top table. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's been quite interesting, the fact that when you are playing the same night, I guess not the same as the Tuesday, Wednesday, but it's like Rangers are playing at six and Celtic are playing at eight. And they're, you know whether they like to admit it or not, they do look at each other's results as support of um, trying to spur each other on to try and get bragging rights um, we're doing better than you, than you type of thing so but yeah um, for, for them to get into Champions League was was good um, so we're going to September and the international team take centre stage um, pre- 3-1 win over Lithuania um, to, to to keep their um, campaign going two late goals end up seal, sealing the deal um, it's a game probably more famous for Michelinus's ridiculous side but personally I think Scotland, um, the, the, the good thing about that was that Scotland didn't let that get them. They just got on with the yeah. job and got the job done. And then four days later, Paris, need I say no more? Well, tell me, because I missed it, because I was in um, Disney World at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, was it good? Disney World, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was as good as uh, James McFadden's goal from about 150 yards. Oh, it's funny how like something happens in a, a split second and your mind can race. And see when you turn to hit it, I thought you idiot. What have you done? <laughs> there is there is no way you're scoring for there. You've wasted an opportunity. This was a split second, and all of this all of this was forming in my mind. You're an idiot. And then that happens. And then that's that's something he's going to die now on for forevermore. It was a beauty. Uh, you just know what went through his head, going, I'm not running that distance, that's miles. <laughs> aye, aye. I just want to even think of doing that, it's just, no. I still, I still wouldn't want him hitting it now as I watch the replay. No. <laughs> no, I agree. It's funny because, I mean, like, that was the second time we beat France in that, that uh, competition because we'd obviously won with the Caldwell uh, goal in Hamden. The, the previous season it's still part of the same campaign but um, as, as John said earlier it's, this was this was a group of death because we had the, both of the World Cup finalists for 2006 and the World Cup quarter finalists in Ukraine yeah yeah and yet we took maximum points off the French um, can't remember what exactly what we did against the Ukrainians um, it was unfortunately defeats Natalie um, but as is Scotland's usual um, nonsense. It was the the following ones when we fell to Georgia when they played like three ten year olds and a and a couple of girls. Um, and we played in that. What, what this is probably the thing that what annoys me more than anything. That's is we played in a really really nice red top that night, and it was the only time we ever wore it. And how did we not watch that game? I probably would have bought that red top and I still wearing it today because that'd be great. I thought it was hard because it was. And most people did I was the minority of that one I thought it was really nice stop but nah we get pumped in it so it never get bought <laughs> nobody ever went near it no, we never wore it again 
I thought it was one of the most honking tops, and it was um, it probably summarised the performance. Um, unfortunately, yes. a few days before um, was my fa- fa- personal favourite Scotland game was when we beat Ukraine three one at Hamden. Um, it was just that was just a glorious day. You had um, you know it was sun was shining, the team played with a swagger against as you mentioned a side that had done well in the previous World Cup. And we just swept them aside. Two early goals from um, Miller and McCulloch just set the tone. They got one from Shevchenko. We just um, get back playing again and McFadden sealed the deal. And it was a convincing win. But unfortunately, in that game, there was um, there was four players that get in- There was a few players that got injured and suspended. Um, Lee McCulloch got got booked, which meant he missed the next game. Scott Brown got injured, Alan Hutton got injured, and Gary Naismith um, got injured as well. So that was that was your both your fullbacks and white players all missing. And then plus Gary O'Connor got himself booked in the, the last minute. Um when needless booking which got him out the trip to Georgia as well. And we just didn't perform. I mean we should have been good enough to play to win in Georgia but um it just it just summed us up unfortunately. But um you know the win in Paris was just unbelievable. Um, you know people people make it out as if France had us on the ropes that night. I mean it was probably the start the second half when they started creating a couple of chances because the first half they didn't really create and even when they did start creating a couple, I don't recall Craig Gordon making an outstanding save. It was still a smashing grab. We still got a win a win the game we probably didn't deserve to win, but who cares? Um, uh, but it's just a shame that that was almost spoiled a month later. It's often the case with Scotland, doesn't it? That I think we need to feel that we're the the underdogs for us to to rise above it. Because you look, yeah. look at many campaigns, we, 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 it's these we this the so called silly wee games that that we struggle to do it. We almost take our eye off the ball and think, right, well we've done the difficult bit. We can, we can just this is just a walkover, and then we were looking ahead to. The, the, the final game with the, the group perhaps and thinking oh, that that's the challenge we really need to to overcome and and we really in the, the very difficult games in that group if you're looking at the based on form they, we did we, we shone really brightly as you said was it two finalists and a semi-finalist in Ukraine what a finalist it's, yeah. it's just brilliant I know it's that win in, in Paris set the tone for a good month um, because later on in the month, Rangers went to Lyon. Uh, they'd beaten Stuttgart in their first game and then went to Lyon and trounced them 3 0 over in France. Celtic. Yeah, exactly. Lee McCulloch, um, I think Daniel Cousin, um, well taken second goal. Demarcus Beasley, um, you know, a breakaway third goal. I mean, that was just a phenomenal result. Um, and Craig, do you, what do you recall about? With that one being a Rangers fan, well, that <clears throat> I think that's a, a standout result, really. From from uh, looking back over European ties, to to go and totally dominate them, and uh, yeah, it's, it really was a, a high point, and that a really tough group uh, set us up nicely for the the next tie against uh, Barca, which uh, which I, I think we did really well again. Uh, Leon. Looking back, I'm not a huge fan of Kusan at all. <coughs> but uh, standout Beasley, he was lightning. He was a proper machine uh, once he got running. Really big fan of him. Uh, still, a standout is, is, is probably one of the, the most athletic sprinters that Rangers have had that I can remember, really, uh, just for pure pace anyway. And then Jig, 
he's just a just a Rangers man through and through. <laughs> to Marcus, because I was just thinking of some um, else that he stood out um, in World Cup history um, in America, where the camera actually caught him peeing in the dugout um, in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> True story. I can't remember that. Yeah, it was on one of those, um, you know, when they do the World Cup what, um, preview shows and they look back in funny instance, that that pops up um, into your own. Um, <laughs> So yeah, from from De Beasley, um d- destroying Leon the night before, um, Celtic then had to try and up their game after losing to Shakhtar, and they go and they just go and defeat the European champions at home, AC Milan. A very yeah. entertaining night. Aye, um, it was a bit of a slap in the face for uh, AC Milan that result. <laughs> know what you're referring to. One of the uh, most ridiculous uh, no, acts ever. Oh, no, see, I mean, like, it's funny, this, this whole campaign for um, Celtic and the Champions League was, was kind of a last minute kind of thing at times. Um, but, I mean, it started well because we took the lead like, the, the through McManus. Um, Milan then pegged us back and you think, OK, one each at home isn't a bad result. But then, we, I can't remember who takes a shot. But it gets parried out and McDonald's just there and they're not going for offside. He's never offside. Puts the ball in the net, runs off. It's absolute bedlam. I mean, it's like we're into like, the last minute of the game at this point. And then some idiot for the, the, the home crowd jumps out, runs up to do that, winding him up, gives him a light tap in the face and Dida goes down like he's being shot. It was just... I, I, I don't think we've seen Dida again. Even their manager was there that impressed with Dida after that. Well, he got a two-game ban, but Milan appealed it and he got it down to one, which just proves to me that, you know, it was promoting the cheating. Um, but it was ridiculous. It was at the, you know, the ice pack and the um, the stretch, and it was just absolutely pathetic. It went the whole hog, it subbed off and it was just... Was that around the same time as Rivaldo did it as well remember he got hit in the, the, the thigh and he was claiming he got hit in the face 2002 or was yeah. it was it a long yeah. time before then nah, it wasn't that long before to be fair but yeah the Rivaldo one was like, another awful one we talked about that in the World Cup podcast um, that we did a couple of years ago and Rivaldo scored five goals in that tournament he was outstanding um, but he doesn't get remembered for that yeah yeah just like got a call at the shop, by the way. Oh, was it called well, for some reason? Uh, I thought it was Donati. No, I thought it was called. No, Donati scored the, the late winner against Donetsk later in the campaign. Yeah. Uh, in the home game against him. Um, but I, I, I don't know how you remember that game. I'm sure it was a dodgy penalty. That guy got scored. Yeah, I don't remember that. This, that, that, this was a bit of revenge um, for, for AC Milan because well, they'd obviously knocked us out the last 16 the previous season. Um, and it was the man Kaka actually to get the, the goal in that, that uh, tie. So uh, he beat them at home. Because they, as I say, they knocked us out. We probably gave AC Milan a better uh, goal of uh, knocking them out than anybody else did that season. And they went on to win the tournament. So. Yeah. We were only, we only bad back then. And then we proved it by deservedly winning that game in, in such a dramatic fashion. But uh, that wasn't that wasn't the end of the the, the European story that uh, when about that time because um, as much as 
Celtic Rangers were doing well in group stages. We were uh, soon to be joined by another team in another group stage. Yes, um, yes. Uh, Aberdeen um, joined them the next night um, with a, a one-all draw away in Dnipro, which meant that they were having drawn nil 0 in the first leg. A game I was at. Um, I attended all the European home games. So that I decided that season to get a season ticket. I, there was two two seasons of a season ticket. Long journeys up, um, but worth it. Um, and we drew nil nil in the first game. Chris, I remember Chris Scott being unlucky to hit the post in the first first leg, and we were the better team. And then over there, that flying header of Dan Mackey will live in Aberdeen fans' memory forever because that goal obviously got us into the group stage. It was worth a couple of million quid. Um, it's obviously a bit nervy when the pro equaliser. Bit of a scrappy goal, but Jamie Lyne outstanding that night. No. Um, because the thing is, Jamie Linefield started the season on the bench. He he made the mistake of on his own stag do. He went the same place as his manager as the stag do. Decided to have a few words with the manager on his stag do, and Jimmy Caldwell obviously dropped him and put him in the transfer list. Um, he had a year's contract. Left. I think he was like with Rangers, if I remember rightly. Um, but then he regretted it obviously and knuckled back down. He was put back in for the April first leg, and yeah. He was then awarded um, by a good performance in the second line because I tell you something, um, as much as Lionfield, by his own admission, isn't the greatest keeper you'll ever see, he was far better than Soapy Suter. And if Soapy Suter had been in goals, he probably would have won the first leg. Yeah, Lionfield was, was one of those keepers that was uh, just, it happens to so many that they've just got a, a clanger in them. And the problem is that you, you only need to do one or two. And that's what people remember. It's a, a horrible position to play in. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought he did a decent job. You know, for ten years. Um, I mean, he's not the same caliber as like a Joe Lewis or a, a Theo Snelders. You no, know, my two favorite, my two favorite Aberdeen goalkeepers in my lifetime. But you know, he was by far the best keeper we had in that ten-year period that he was with Aberdeen because everyone else just wasn't good enough, and he had a lot of good moments. Um, but too many clangers um, stick in people's minds, but you know what, as Aberdeen fans are like um, to please. Um, but later, so in October, turn it back to domestic action because we've covered off the Scotland game. So after the Georgia Scotland game, you had the first low firm derby, um, and Chris, it's probably not one you want to cover, but Craig, you'll know that remember a bit more. The Rangers trounced Celtic three and all that day. You know, it was a period in my life when I was kind of in a bit of a routine. I would always meet up with my my pal Ewan to to watch the the, the old firm games, and I remember. I think it was, it was perhaps the youth of me, but I used to get so sick looking forward to these games. I like really like like almost shaky. Almost, uh, uh, yeah, like really, really hyped up. Uh, I'm not like that now, but it just used to mean so much to me. So then to come away from games like that, I it just it used to set me up for the the week ahead. It was it was absolutely brilliant. It, perhaps back then more so than it is now. It was uh, not quite life or death, but it, it meant so much more to me. Uh, I suppose that was just the, the young silly me that thought football was life. I honestly don't remember much of this game. It's not that because we got bumped, I don't remember it. I just really don't remember this game at all. 
Because um, I mean, there's other times we get trounced at Ibrox, I remember vividly. Um, but this one, for some reason, just is blanked from my memory entirely. Yeah, I think Norfolk scored a couple, if I remember rightly. I don't rem- remember the game myself, but then I'm not an old firm fan. Um, but yeah, I know we'll get to yeah. uh, Barry Ferguson get the other one. But I'm yeah. doing that as a start, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I have no recollection of some whatsoever. I remember the other one better for this season at Ibrox. Yeah, but that was um, Rangers third old firm win in a row after Watersmith had come back in a there was no goals for Celtic either in that period because obviously there was a win where uh, Yugo Hill scored the overhead kick there was a 2-0 um, Chris Boyd got his only goal against Celtic and then this one and you know for Celtic fans they must have been fearing at that point we could lose the league this season It's funny because I mean I don't think we were in great form at this point in time um, other than the nation one because the, the game immediately before this was our first encounter with Gretna um, and it's, it's funny this was Gretna's only season in the top flight um, given what happened to them in the <coughs> fairy tale um, of the, spending a lot of money in a wee club and then going uh, ill <sighs> and then not being able to write checks and then the club going bust um, as it's always known but, and we, we could, it's funny we played Gretna three times in this season and it was three different venues and it's the only time in our history we played Gretna. Uh, so the first game was played at Fur Park, where it was supposed to be played because uh, Radio Park was the SPL compliant. Um, so they were ground sharing at Motherwell, which in hindsight was a terrible idea because, um, in fact, not even in hindsight, we were telling it was a terrible idea in like, the start of 2007 because Fur Park in those days was notorious for being uh, very bad when the surface uh, got to like February time. And that's exactly what happened in this season. It got to February March time and for Park was unplayable to the point they moved our other game with Gretna to Almondville. But the the game at Fur Park was like Gretna probably could have won it. Um it was two late goals that turned it into a Celtic two one one. One of them being Chris Killen <laughs> and it's got McDonald scoring an injury thing. But uh, um so I uh, we went into that game at Ibrox not the greatest of all. Uh, I think Hibs had beaten us earlier uh, what a couple of weeks earlier as well. So uh, aye, it was not great. It's interesting how that period, uh, you're quite right to bring up Motherwell's pitch because it was well known to be shite. And then uh, nowadays, they're winning awards. For it's brilliant. It's, it always looks lush. It's uh, certainly better than Ibrox's pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Motherwell yeah, came out that season where obviously their um, pitch wasn't great, but um, the their on-the-pitch football was um, pretty, pretty decent because they finished third in the league. Um it was, you know, because Mark McGee's went in and this is where Mark McGee's stock went back up. Um, I won't go into what he did now because, it, to be fair, that season he conducted himself very well and Mullow did very well to finish third place that season. Yeah, the, that whole Gretna thing was uh, was unfortunate the, the way it happened. I think that some football purists don't like to see that happen, money injected into a, a, a team especially a team like that that, that didn't perhaps have the, the history of others and propel them to the, the top tier. It's, it's almost like a fairy tale. But then I think, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but did the, did the owner, did the, the, the guy that was pumping the money, did he not get ill? And yeah. it, I don't Thanks know if it was... He got uh, ill and then they couldn't really keep pumping the money in and something happened and they went under. Yeah. So the, they, were in a, they were in a position where Brooks Milson was the only man who could sign the cheque. Um, so when he was ill, 
nobody get paid anything to Gretner. Yeah. Um, and it's just it became completely unsustainable to the point that when they went into administration at the end of the season, the minister wrote about going, look, we, we can't afford to make this isn't a going concern anymore because no, unless we have another bored rich man come in like Brooks Wilson was, then they, yeah. there was nothing there and they couldn't get anybody. So they never what happened if you spend if you if you as a football club spend so much without your means, it comes to a point that when the means. Of the, when the money that you've been bringing in dries up, there's not there's no way to pay off the debts. So you, you go bust, and that's what yeah, happened with Gretna. Yeah, I mean Gretna. Yeah, the Gretna that exists now in the Lowland leagues still carries the name Gretna 2008. Like it's a kind of warning to the the, the small town there not to do that again. Yeah, I think I think one of the reasons why people resented them a lot um, was. The kind of money they were they were throwing away. Now, just to give you an example, a um, couple of years before Aberdeen were offering Steve Tosh um, a contract of I think it was three grand a week for one one year. Gretna were offering the same for three years, so he obviously decided to go down to Gretna. Um, but that was the kind of money they were spending. Players like you know two three grand a week um, on players, and the the village of Gretna itself is three thousand. So, um, and they weren't obviously getting big press. I think that's why teams in the the lower um, reaches of Scottish football were particularly um, je- envious, um, jealous, whatever word you want to say, and didn't really buy the Gretna fairy tale as it is. Um, it was. I mean, they weren't a great support. I mean, I remember the two games they went up to Petodre that season. Um, me and my mate were actually. We get there were routine wins for Aberdeen, and we got bored that we actually counted the Gretna fans. And on both occasions, on the first occasion, they gave them the full away stand, and they brought fifty folk, and they were all space. You know, they were all spread spread out far apart. I mean, they were doing social distancing in two thousand and seven. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the next time they put them in the main stand in the corner, like I think Locomotive Moscow actually brought more fans over, and there's bigger problems for. You know, fans coming over from Moscow to Scotland because of the visa. <laughs> yeah, I remember going to the Scottish Cup final uh, with Gretna against Hearts. Uh, went, went as a, a neutral, so sat in the, the Gretna, and that was uh, interesting. And then they ended up getting into Europe because of it, which yeah. I think, mm-hmm. although that's nice to see uh, teams that that dream of getting into Europe, it did make a bit of a farce of the the way Scottish football had set up their qualification. Oh. I, I think that was it. Uh, Derry City game. Uh, was it? I, I, I mean, for all for all Derry City, for by far and away the better team. Everything they hit that night went in. <laughs> Gretna were a bit unfortunate about that. I don't think I've, I don't think Derry City ever had a better game than that since. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe they were managed by Stephen Kenny at that point. He went to Vermont, took them to Scottish Cup for. You know, and then that season he ended up getting sacked because he took Dunfermline down and couldn't get them back up. Um, Hamilton were the team that promoted that season. Um, champions of the First Division. So, yeah, come back to... Um, go back to the... You mentioned uh, the Rangers-Barcelona game, Craig, um, the 0-0 draw. Uh, this is where the, the term anti-football um, was properly invented by Lionel Messi. Um, do you think it was Sir Grapes in his point, or um... do you know? Yeah, I've got I've had mixed feelings over the years about about this kind of thing, but uh, yeah, and and this I think I, I'm I'm slightly biased, and I think that you just need to put up with that. 
I think if you're good enough, it doesn't matter if you've got a uh, ten men behind the ball. If you're good enough, you're going to unlock that key. I think that that uh, shows uh, creativity if you can unlock that. And uh, yeah, I think it was sour grapes from that instance. Uh, I think it's been really good banter over the years that he, that, that quote came out. It's something that uh, it's going to be it's going to be used as a, an attack on Rangers for many years to come. Uh, especially as Rangers fans often complain about other teams coming to Ibrox and, and parking the bus. But yeah, I think it was brilliant. I think the uh, the ends justify the means. You get you get a, a solid draw against a, a team that if you if you look at the players on show from Barcelona that night, it's it's like a dream team. It's it's unbelievable the oh. players that they had on the park, and yeah, I think. Rangers were well punching above their weight and I think a draw is good. I think that's where uh, Smith and his uh, European exploits, that's where he really excelled, I think. He, he could really choke a team. He could really and and uh, rely on, on the odd goal to, to help progress, but obviously not in this instance. Because you look at the team and, yeah, there, there's, some, there's some teams that are some players that are Rangers legends, if you like, but there's there's no real world beaters in there. There's player like Davy Weir. Even then, he was uh, he was he was too old. Uh, uh, I, it's Kusan. I've never seen a, a weaker Rangers player in my time, and and I say weak, but I mean mentally weak. Uh, the amount of time any anybody even dared to, to tackle him and he was moaning. I'd seen him give up a few times and just because he was injured, just said, they said, no, it's, it's not worth it. And, and maybe back then, players didn't do it as much because nowadays somebody has an, an injury and they're, they're sitting down. But back then, players didn't do that and he was doing it and it, re- it really stuck out. It really frustrated me that he had the talent but he just, yeah. for some reason, he seemed so weak, weak-minded. Yeah, I think Daniel Cusan at times was just uninteresting. I mean, um, I mean, you can correct me if you think I'm speaking out of turn here, but in the UEFA Cup semi-final, um, to me, he got himself deliberately sent off to get himself out of playing the final, which I think is pretty poor. Yeah, there was certainly uh, that feeling at the time. Yeah, it was. It's, it's a shame when you see somebody that's got got talent, but there's something else going on in them that just means they can't push to the next level. Because you had like somebody in that squad. Uh, Broadfoot. I, I used to love Broadfoot because he was never ever a right back. Never, never ever a right back. Especially not a modern right back. When you're uh, nowadays, it's night and day almost. But even back then, you, you had uh, marauding right backs, and he was just a, a, a lumper, a, a centre half who was really good at being a centre half. But he was willing to run up that line. He was willing to do the odd step over that he'd seen somebody else do in training. Uh, I, I really, I, I see a lot of uh, players like that. And like uh, Halliday is another one, uh, more recently. That doesn't. He's not. He's not a world class player. He's not a top top player for Rangers. But he's the heart's there, and he plays above himself because he really. It doesn't matter where he plays in the pitch. Left back, left mid. And field, Halliday would play anywhere. Broadfoot, centre half, he's quite happy to go right back and run up and be a wing back. Yeah, and um, 
one guy that was a right back um, was Alan Hutton. He excelled in the Champions League games and he'd never excelled more than when he played for Scotland that game against Italy. That was probably the game that got him the, the big move to, to Tottenham um, in the January that year. Um, but the Scotland-Italy game, um, there's hardly any words to describe. No, we knew we, we knew we were up against it. Yeah, we knew we were going to be up against it. Um, we don't help ourselves with the fact that we switch off from a, a throw-in after um, a minute and you're on the back foot already. Get ourselves back in the game. We're well on top. Um, you know, after 1-1, we were dominant in that game. And then when James McFadden missed that chance, you just knew that it wasn't going to be our night. You know, it was one he's just got. If he scores that Scotland, they're going to Euro 2008. He missed and then they get the... Um, Free kick up the other end that should have been a free kick. Yeah, for assaulting Alan Hutton. Yeah. To this day, I have no idea what the ref gave for that. I don't see how that was possibly a foul for uh, them. Just utterly bizarre. And while we're all standing there, how is that even their free kick? They take the free kick and score for it. Yeah. So I didn't really see how bad it was until later on because I was at the other corner for when that happened. I was at like the northwest corner and that happened at the southeast corner. Um, so I didn't see it until it was, I saw it later. I was like, oh my God. Awful. Awful way to go out after the performances we put in that campaign. You know, I, I, yeah, I don't think it would have mattered because I, I was going to, I think, if we'd got a draw that night, we still needed, I think, Ukraine to beat France, and I think that was a draw or something in the, in the, the final game. Yeah. Um, at that point, France knew they didn't need to win it, so it was fine. Um, but it was just even so cut. Well, you're right, the, the McFadden chance, if we score that, we win, and that was great. Um, I guess we were probably here in the night after that. To at least get the draw to get take it those extra couple of days and maybe Ukraine could have done some because as I say, I may have, if I remember right, it was a draw. But if France are trying to get that win, there's a bit more of an edge about it, and Ukraine could have nicked something in that game. And then who knows, might might got the draw would have been enough. But that got taken away from us, and it was it was just out and out cheating as far as we're concerned. I remember being in a, a pub watching that and. Uh, Racism or, or xenophobia is never funny, but at one point there was somebody in this crowded pub shouted out that they hated pizza. <laughs> it was also, did Italy score a goal that was disallowed at one point? Because I, I, I've got a memory. I think there was one. I wonder what. I had a chance. I've got a memory of the guy next to me. Should have been disallowed to be honest. I think I'm blocked. And Derwin probably shouldn't uh, should should have been disallowed. So we can't complain too much about the luck. It was a guy next to me had a, a, a full pint and decided to just throw it and smash it in the ground. This this pub I was in was just crazy, and uh, I and uh, I, he just smashed it and then it was disallowed. And I was like, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, it was disallowed. It didn't count. Aye, crazy times. Yeah. I remember the pubs from that morning were open for like eight o'clock, and the game's a five o'clock kickoff. Um, like I remember we were in—I can't remember—I think, I think it was a Crystal Palace or something near Central Station—and we left, and there was a queue to get in, and two people went in when the two of us went out. It was just an absolutely crazy day. Now, of course, when we're coming back after the game, I think some fans in the city centre were fighting amongst themselves over something silly because there'd just been that much drink consumed. Um, but. 
But yeah, that was uh, that was that was gutting. I mean, it, it cheered ourselves up a few days later when England got put out as well off uh, Croatia. <laughs> but scant consolation. But yeah. do you remember what else happened just before that game? They postponed uh, games that involved Rangers and Celtic. Yes, to give Scotland a better chance against Italy. Um, and uh, obviously that didn't work out too well for us. Um, as, as a common theme uh, throughout the season, from what I remember actually, because the next time any game was postponed was ahead of uh, Rangers' final group match against Leon. Um, because for all Rangers have done so great um, in the, the, the first half of the, the group stage and take seven out of possible nine points they took nothing in the next three mm-hmm. um, and perhaps the biggest disappointment in that was that Leon game um, because I think they only needed a draw against Leon even after everything uh, they did and Dashville missed an absolute setter yeah it was just but I, I think it was, it was um, because of what happened in the first leg I think that the, the, there was such high hopes and it's similar to the way that Scotland go about their business sometimes you take your eye off the ball and that's when it goes wrong. Yeah. Seen there's a few pictures of uh, Dashville doing the rounds. I don't know why. Uh, you just get these uh, memes every now and again. Uh, but there's just a few pictures of him doing the rounds, just looking probably the coolest guy you'll ever see. Just with a Rangers top on and shades, nothing more. Just say he had that look about him. Didn't he? Didn't he quite like look like a footballer? He was, uh, but as a just. Just a character, I liked him. I think he gave up for what he lacked in terms of ability. He gave he gave a lot of effort, to be fair, because um, it was a difficult difficult role playing up front your own. Um, but you know, he used his his strength to his advantage, and he, he did all right at times. But that that was a, a bad miss, and um, because if again, like the McFadden one, if he scores that. Rangers arguably are going to get the draw that they need that night because it was not, it was still one 0 at that point. But then Sydney Govu goes and scores again, and um, that's the kind of call it that can hit you. And Leon going to the last six, um, last sixteen, and Rangers had to drop into the UEFA Cup where um, where, Aber- where Aberdeen were. Um, yeah, yeah, it worked out hope well, all right for Rangers. And then, but Celtic managed to make make it through mainly thanks to. A last gas winner against the uh, Shakhtar, thanks to Massimo Donati. One of the few good contributions he made to Celtic. We, we had a, a few last gas for this campaign because, as I said, we had the last gas winner against DC Milan. The the 1-0 win over Benfica came courtesy of a McGeady injury time in the first half goal. Um, I think the two goals against Shakhtar the Nets came in injury time in the first half and injury time in the second half. Um, and they went 1-0 down in that game, actually, early on. So, uh, it was um, that that put us in a position where um, I think it was we needed Benfica to beat Shakhtar. Oh, sorry, if Shakhtar beat Benfica, then Shakhtar would have went through with, Bar- uh, through with um, AC Milan in that group. And any other result meant that we would go through. Um, so, I think I remember putting a bet on this just... <laughs> Because my betting history at this point in time was terrible, so I just put a double on Celtic to get beaten uh, in Milan and uh, the next to beat Benfica, and I knew it was not happening. Uh, and although Celtic did go into losing in Milan, um, I think actually uh, Benfica beat Shakhtar that night, so we went through. 
Right, Celtic chat our game I actually saw the last few minutes in Madrid because um, I was at the Aberdeen Atletico game. Um, great experience. Um, the, the, the one time I've went and done a European trip in Aberdeen, it was just uh, that was tremendous. Did you guys manage to get abroad that season with your respective teams? I've never, never travelled abroad really? with the Rangers. No. No, I didn't go this season. Um, I went the previous season. Um, my last trip um, prior to this was the, the Copenhagen game. Because like, we drew Benfica two seasons in a row. And this was the second season. So the, the previous season, when we got pumped 3-0 and Gary Calder had an absolute nightmare, um, was a horror day for me because I'd booked up with Thomas Cook and the plane got delayed. And I was sitting in Glasgow Airport all morning. And it was only a day trip, so by the time I got to Lisbon, I had just enough time to go and get a bite to eat before I went to the game. Then the game was horrendous, and it was back in a plane home again. So I never even seen it in Lisbon. <laughs> took me five years to go back to Lisbon to go actually go and do that, a tour of the city and stuff. Uh, I, got, I got there in the end, got to the, the, the Stadio Nacional and uh, seen myself at one European Cup and all that. But aye, that was five years later than I'd expected. But no, by, by this point, I'd get kind of scunnered by going to uh, see Celtic getting beating Europe because <laughs> this was back in the days when we didn't win anything away from home yeah. Yeah. so I'll, I'll move on um, quickly to everyone because I've mentioned obviously the fact we were playing Atletico Madrid um, so Aberdeen up against an Atletico Madrid side yeah. that had so, um, the, the likes of Aguero see, see before and, we go um, on with us before Lance got penalty yeah. Can you explain how the group stage worked in the EFA Cup at this point of stage? Mm-hmm. Well, it worked out, it worked out like, nicely from what we recognise now is well, yeah, that, what, we, what, what we have now in the Europa League, as the UEFA Cup eventually became uh, because of this, uh, is the same as the Champions League. It's four teams, they play each other home and away, and that's just the top two go through. Um, but back here, it was, was it five teams were in the same group, and five, they all played yeah. each other once. Yeah, five <laughs> yeah. teams in the same group. I don't Not know like how they type approach, wasn't it? I, yeah. I think I think it was I think the draw was the fixtures were done randomly if I remember it I can't remember exactly but the way it worked out from our point of view was actually perfect because we get the two CD teams Panathinaikos and Atletico Madrid away from home Panathinaikos were actually the top seeds ahead of Atletico you wouldn't think that's not the case these days and then we get the so-called lesser teams Lokomotiv Moscow and Copenhagen um, at home um, so we, we do be um, with Lokomotiv. Um, but what worked in our favour was that Lokomotiv lost to Copenhagen, which meant that all I say all we had to do was beat Copenhagen um, at Petodre, Um and we were through. Um, so that was yeah, that that, that takes me on to the best night um, I've witnessed in, in my lifetime as an Aberdeen fan at Petodre. Um and I still can't understand how it got to for no because at half time, if anything, Copenhagen were the better side in that first half. And it was nil nil. You never saw that result coming in. All of a sudden, Jamie Smith with an absolute worldy um, to make it one nil. Um, one of the best goals I've seen. Like that's a nicely t- taken second one. We we can left foot. And Jamie Smith too often he was injured, but when he was when he was fit, he was just a tremendous player. And then we get an own goal and a Ricky Foster goal to seal off. It was just it was worth driving a few mates up that night. It was a, a tremendous night. I was just, I think, looking back at these uh, fixtures and results has been brilliant because the top three really went was through as well. Glory days back then, that season uh, in Europe. 
yeah, I don't think we'll see that kind of thing again. Not for a long time. Certainly have three, te- three Scottish teams in Europe beyond Christmas. Yeah. And you had three teams I, in group stages as well. I, I tried to look up exactly when that last happened prior to this. And I think it was like 1970 or something was the last time Scottish football had three teams in Europe after Christmas. Um, so to then do it in 2007 and 2008 was, was brilliant. And obviously it's the only time it's happened since. But um, it'd, be, it'd be wonderful to get back to the point that we've got three teams even in the group stage. Um, yeah. What we did back then. But yeah, it was, it was a weird setup that group. But as you say, it worked out perfectly for Aberdeen. Um, with the, yeah. The, the home one and the, the draw as well. Take you through, I think. Did you go through in third? Yeah. Yeah, we went through in third. It was like the top three went through, um, and then we we joined some of the dropouts of the Champions League, um, and it was so the fixtures worked out perfectly. We got the four points that we needed because the results went our way in the other games, and yeah, um, just just an incredible night. I mean, um, it was it was just that that year for cup campaign was just. Tremendous. It was without doubt the highlight of Jimmy Calder was tenure at Aberdeen. Getting us in there in the first place with that win over Rangers in the final day of the previous season obviously set us up, took us in. It was our first campaign for five years. Um, and then we've played, we've played very well. I mean, we, I know we lost three out of Panath and Icos, but you know, we're quite a young team and we've, we've played we've played all right for, for spells in the game. Didn't disgrace ourselves in Madrid. You know, it was a penalty and um, I think a deflected free kick um, for this. You know, they'd done is over there, and as I say, they'd play like Aguero and Forlan playing for them at the time. And then they beat Copenhagen 4 0, who obviously beat Celtic and Manchester United the year before. You know, to destroy them the way we did was incredible. Yeah. Um, also, that, that month, though, um, saw the sad passing um, of, of Phil O'Donnell. Um, he was due to be substituted and then sadly collapsed and, and died an hour later in hospital. You know, re- researching this, I never realised the score of that game was 5 3. Mm-hmm. It, was a pheno- it must have been a phenomenal game of football, which will never be remembered for being a game of football. Yeah. I remember yeah, I mean, I mean, to, to lose Phil O'Donnell at such a young age um, in, in that manner was. Was shocking to Scottish football. Um, obviously, uh, heartbreaking for his family and uh, everybody that knew him. And um, I think some of the some of the behaviour after that from from some people was a bit questionable. Like that, I, it still astounds me that Dundee United were made to play a couple of days after that mm-hmm. at all. I mean, Mulgrew obviously it was them. They would have been most closely affected by it, and they got time off to grieve and, and, and deal with that but when Dundee United were involved in that game as well they should have had the time off to grieve as well yeah and I'm not water. yeah and I'm not meaning this disrespect disrespect either Dundee United considering no they were directly involved should have had their other game postponed but Celtic their game with the Rangers postponed now I get that Adonis was a Celtic player you know a former Celtic player and they also felt wee but I think Celtic's game with Mother was also postponed um for obvious yeah. reasons, but you know, it's quest. I know Rangers fans certainly hold a um, question marks over it. But if Dundee, to me, if Dundee United, who were directly involved when that happened, were made were made to play, I think I don't think Celtic should have had the time off. But then it should have been time off for both, or 
um, or not at all. It should be time off for everybody, to be fair. I think Scottish football should have just taken a break at that point. Um, I know, obviously, there were issues with fixtures later on, but at this point in time, nobody knew that was going to happen. Um, well, so it should have been a blanket. Been. Let's take time off, because um, there's more to life of the, the game itself. So we'll, take, we'll all take time off, and we'll come back in a couple of weeks and move on for there. I think it hits hardest because uh, one the age of them, but, but also these everything tells us keep yourself fit. Like keep yourself fit, do the right things, eat the right things, do the right things, and you're going to be okay. And then there, the, there's a, a footballer who's done that for for twenty odd years, uh, been been at the top of their fitness ate the right things, trained every day, and then it can just hit you like that. So I think it hits fans really hard looking on this, and it's also going to look, it's going to hit the, the players hard, as you say about Dundee United, because they're pushing themselves to their physical limit. And that's going to be in the back of their mind, because you don't really know, you don't really know what's around the corner, you don't really know if you if this time, if you go that lung-bursting run, run down the line, Wing. Is that the moment that there's some slight uh, flaw in your system that's going to go wrong? So yeah, it's it it, it blow my mind if I was playing in there. I can't imagine how the the footballers felt even after their few days off, going back to training for the first day, mm-hmm. doing that first run, and it just uh, it doesn't matter if the doctor's saying, uh, "Don't worry, you're okay, you, you're you're fine." I think it'd just be so, so much of a mental impact that's something that you've been there and seen that happen. Because yeah, allegedly when they've done the United players it's too, funny he's done on the um, recovery position as well. He's been asked to play football a few days later. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's funny because um, the, the lockdown has, uh, has stopped everything and we're seeing V-runs and lots of different things. I mean, my, my memory of Phil O'Donnell when he was at Celtic was he was injured all the time. Um, it became a running joke because I used to get into the time of the football. I used to pretend there was something quite similar to follow Donald. Um, but I mean, I, because I've seen two of the games I've seen in recent weeks was Celtics five one one over Rangers in nineteen ninety eight, and Celtics two 0 one against St Johnson in the 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 one ninety eight as well. And in both of those games. Phil O'Donnell sticks out like a sore thumb. He is at the heart of everything that's good that Celtic create in both of those games. Um, and yet, I, I had no memory of that until I watched these two games. So, it's for, for all, yeah, Phil O'Donnell's career at Celtic probably wasn't what it should have been because of the injuries. What he did in this time there was absolutely brilliant. And, of course, if you can go back to one of the very first games that the BBC showed uh, during lockdown was the 91 Cup final. Phil O'Donnell was a big part of that team as well. It was again. It was another game. He was brilliant, and he was a lot. He was obviously the youngster in that team. But um, aye, it's 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 so very sad that Phil was, was taken for us at such a young age. Uh, I mean, he died younger than I am now. I mean, that's that's a lot. Um, but uh, it, the what he left behind, we should focus more on the good that he had in, in, in yeah. his career, like the the ninety one cup final and and those performances for Celtic that I was just referencing there um, so yeah it's, it's it's funny how lockdown has just kind of brought a few things to the fore and they go actually I think a slightly different way and uh, I, I think I appreciate Phil O'Donnell as a footballer more than I used to yeah. 
it's, it's interesting you mentioned that he was injury prone because he, he did uh, arguably at that time um, before his uh, sad passing was that he was going through the best run injury free for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it was just obviously cut short. So uh, yeah, it was a an awful period. What it did do was obviously brought out the best of Scottish. It was to say Mark McGee handled this handled the whole situation so amicably. Um, spoke very well and everything was geared towards the O'Donnell family and so and they they've now got the legacy of the fact that the main stand's named after them, so that was a, a nice touch by by Motherwell. Um and there wasn't a lot really happened in January other than you also said yeah, um, the transfer deadline and the Scottish Cup started at this point, but there was a game postponed at Ibrox between Rangers and East Stirling um, because of a waterlogged pitch. Um and this is now totting up because um Rangers the game against St Man postponed because of the um they wanted the game against Gretna postponed in the December for their own European match. There was in the Phil O'Donnell situation which cancelled the old firm game and now you had this one. So at this point we didn't know how big an effect it was going to have in Rangers um later on in the season. But these things start totting up and then the, the we had some horrendous weather which obviously as we've discussed before hammered the Mullow pitch where it was played on every single Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, like I said earlier, to the point that it turns out that the only game that Gretna played at Armandville was against Celtic, just because of the weather. Um, they managed to they managed to repair the first part of the pitch relatively quickly and got it back into a playing state. Um, so yeah, it turns out that the only game Gretna had to play at Armandville was against Celtic. Um, moving swiftly on, um, so in February, back into European action, um, Aberdeen's campaign came to an end. Um, tr- a tremendous performance. They were given by Munich. It was after doing what we did, we all wanted the glamour tie. We wanted by Munich, we got that. Um, and I think Bayern at one point feared a repeat of 1983 because twice Aberdeen are leading through lonely youngsters, uh, Josh Walker and Sonia Luco, who were outstanding night. Unfortunately, um, Pegged back to 2 2 Bayern, um, got away with the draw. Second leg, um, their class showed quite simply, and they beat us 5 1. And, um, you know, it's no, we don't, um, obviously, it's not great losing five goals away from home, no matter who you're playing, but you just got to appreciate that you're up against a class side and the guys that look at Tony um, and Podolski up front, um, and we just couldn't go up in the second leg, but. A good journey yeah. indeed. Um, after, but a, a good performance who? at Pataudry. So who's who? Can, uh, Cruz, Closer, uh, Podolski. It's it's ridiculous. And to, to really go toe-to-toe with them uh, is brilliant. And yeah, whenever I get into... Uh, whenever Rangers are in Europe, uh, yeah, I want Rangers to progress, definitely. However, nothing beats playing a team in a calibre at Bayern Munich even if you're going to get beat by a few goals. To actually go toe-to-toe with them, and as you said in the first leg, really, uh, do, do Aberdeen proud. Uh, yeah, that's what it's all about for me. Uh, I suppose I compare it against uh, getting put out by a team I've never heard of, because that seems to be the two extremes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, because... Um Celtic at the same time are playing Barcelona at this point. Now, there are famous games that Celtic are playing against Barcelona since this. 
Um, where Celtic have been backs to the wall for 90 minutes and taking their chances. Um, but the game that was played in this season was possibly one of the most exciting games I've ever been to. I have always been one of those ones where you don't mind, I say things like, you don't mind losing to a better team if you've given everything and still lost. It very rarely happens. You know, so many times you come at a game going, ugh, the referee cost us that, or ugh, we didn't play as well as we should have done, or ugh, that mistake was a problem now. Um, but I came out of that game against Barcelona at Celtic Park, where we'd twice taken the lead um, and lost 3-2, and I was buzzing because it was a brilliant game of football. Um, it was two teams that just went for it, and to take the lead against Barcelona on two separate occasions was, was amazing. Um, but their class told. Uh, yeah, there'll be people who will point out and go, ah, but Gary Caldwell did this. Well, Gary Caldwell did this. Gary Caldwell does that all the time. Um, That's the mistake you could point to. But, I mean, the the, the first Barcelona goal was, I'm pretty sure, to this day, I still have to work out exactly what happens, but Messi scores it from a nailer tackle. Nailer tackles him, and it's as if nailer hits it off Messi and it goes in the net. So Messi angled it properly. Just with the skill that the guy's got. Um, and I think Messi got the other goal as well. Um, for the, the, the winner for 3 2. But uh, in between, only did pick up a, a ball from Gary Corwell and just created a second equalizer. But I mean, this was. Uh, I think this was just after Barry Robson signed for Celtic. Um, he'd obviously scored his first touch up at Padodri. And then he went on to score against Buffalo. <laughs> Uh, that was the second goal again because Jan Benegger Hessler had scored a cracking header as well um, but yeah, it was just it was such a great game um, and obviously this was coming not long after Barcelona had been at the other side of uh, Glasgow playing against anti-football um, and the reports in Spain that came out of this was this was the hardest test that Barcelona had, had all season and uh, what a great game of football and everybody was buzzing about it over there as well obviously they're happy because Barcelona are their favourites to go through and then we got to the second leg and Celtic just didn't bother time as if we were already out. It was do one nil win for Barcelona and it was it was like a complete polar opposite and it was like a it almost felt like a gut punch because I was after having watched the first leg and was so buzzing about a game we'd lost. I was buzzing to watch a second game and it was rubbish. <laughs> it's just disappointing. Uh, it, was, it was the, the end of a European campaign for the year, but um just it was too flat. I mean given the how we'd went out of Europe 12 months earlier against AC Milan, we'd gone extra time in Milan, probably denied a penalty, um, and then Kaka went and his wee major run. Um, at least that felt like we'd given our all and uh, we'd, we'd fought right to the death. And this one, it was like we chucked it after the first leg and we just, let's not get humped. Yeah, I can. it's funny how things uh, stick out in, in your mind from from that time, but it really, the, the, the fact that Messi had come out with the anti-football and uh, getting wound up with folk at work talking about how Rangers would get football stopped and then Celtic come up against them and it's, it's, it's Rangers fans think no, right, well this, I, I, you're saying how uh, you're making fun of Rangers but you just wait you just wait until you play them and then Celtic did so well against them and then so you got the bragging rights and then the, the second leg happened and it was almost again Rangers fans thinking ah, we, we told you so but it's, it's interesting that sometimes it's not really about the football. Sometimes it's just about the banter that you get in, in the office with mm-hmm. other people in the media. Yeah, because 
again, um, while that was happening, Rangers were taking on uh, the, the, the top seeds from Aberdeen's group, Panathinaikos. Um, and then, like, that was, this is where it starts getting. <laughs> I lost the ball to live watching Rangers in Europe in this campaign. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, and the Panathinaikos, too, like, I wasn't great. Uh, away goals you went through on. Um, it was then followed up by. I mean, it was a pretty good first leg against Werder Bremen. I, I, I give it credit when it was due. Um, but that, that, I think that, that was about as close as you came to getting knocked out that um, tournament because Werder Bremen won the second leg, but not enough. Yeah, I think that was a, that, those two games were a tale of two goalkeepers because in the first leg, the Werder Bremen goalkeeper pretty much sold the first leg to Rangers because he, he made an absolute howl of it. Uh, speculative Daniel Kuzan effort and then the second one he's billed as well and Stephen Davis taps home not taking anything away from Rangers no it's a great result go taking a 2-0 lead to any German team and then the second league Al McGregor makes an unbelievable save and I think it was 1-0 at the time um, if he just made that save it goes to extra time and who knows what would happen we wouldn't be talking about Rangers great run um, it just shows what a difference a, a top goalkeeper can make now McGregor at that time certainly was a top goalkeeper yeah. So I wasn't a season ticket holder by by then. So every every round that we got through, I would have to scramble to get tickets. And I I can't remember if it was the Verde Bremen or the Panathinaikos game. But I ended up sitting behind the the dugout for one of them, actually looking through the dugout. But it was that I was that desperate when it came up and said that it was a restricted view. You always cross your finger and you think, oh well, there's going to be. I, I don't know, a weird handrail that's going to block out a tiny wee bit of the corner or something. But no, I was pretty much looking through the dugout. <laughs> I still I still had a good time, though. I still enjoyed it. Uh, especially uh, a memory sticks out for me, Verde Bremen, uh, Diego. The quality of him. Uh, just uh, really st- a standout in, in that, uh, pretty much that whole UEFA Cup run. Uh, him. Perhaps not on the, in the specific game, but I do remember looking forward to specifically seeing him. Yeah, and later on in uh, the month of March, um, you, you set an old firm game um, at Ibrooks. Um, Rangers get the, the victory. Kevin Thompson scores the only goal, um, so he's getting credit for a, for a terrific performance. But um, I'm going to be controversial in this one because he also makes a ridiculous dive. Now, we've mentioned two other dives um, from like, Michelinus and, uh, and Dida, to, or two dives in play acting, and they get ridiculed by the Scottish media at the time. Um, Gordon Smith was also chief executive of the SFA, talking about um, how they were going to um, hammer in and diving. Not a peak was made in this one. I don't know. Do you recall it, Craig? Because um, he, st- he sticks his leg out to hit Zamras to try and buy a penalty. Um, it's obviously not given. And then he leaves in a stretcher, but miraculously, he was back for the sport in Lisbon first like five days later. <laughs> but because it was a Scotsman, <laughs> not much gets said. <laughs> yes, yes. I do remember that. And again, I remember everything surrounding it. The, the comparisons made at the time. But yeah, look, there's... Everybody looks at things with a certain bias, but but his approach there for the dive was was something that uh, I know Kenny Miller used to be really good at it. Just leave your leg dangling. 
It's not like the uh, McLoomis one, which I think was a I would call a traditional dive. This really was like, look, I will make you fool me here. I'll, uh, which in itself it isn't a foul, but I'll make you fool me. I'll leave my leg. I'll make you. A, I'll, I'll almost kick you, but because I'm I've got the ball, I'll make it look like it's a penalty. Yeah. But you get to that situation and you need to stay down. You, you, you need to you need to pretend you're injured. Uh, I don't know why, but it makes me think uh, Lafferty as well. And it wasn't that season, but remember Lafferty got uh, headbutted by yes. Mulgrew. That's <laughs> just like, come on. Yeah. I think, to be fair, the Lafferty one was so bad that even Walter Smith came out and hammered him straight after the game. Because um, that was ridiculous. But um, yeah, the, the Thompson winner. Just, I just thought because it's not even it's not even an anti Rangers thing. I don't even care about the the Celtic Rangers games. It's just the fact that it was the whole hypocrisy from um, the SFA at the time because they were getting torn into Michaelis because it happened against his team. The media were up in arms with the deed incident again. It's a, a dirty foreigner. But then when it came to one of our own, and I think you were doing a rounded way of saying that was cute from Thompson weren't you there Craig I think that's exactly <laughs> what I was saying yep, yep. <laughs> but yeah I mean it's, it's funny because um, th- this game what, what, between the, the first loss at Ibrox and the second loss at Ibrox for Celtic we only actually lost one league game and that was on number less as we habitually do every so often um, and that was a terrible game actually because we went 2-0 up and lost 3-2 um, just <laughs> I don't know what it is about Inverness. We just have every so often we have a horrible result against them for some inexplicable reason. Uh, but I, it was um, although that was all we'd done in um, the league, like our cup competitions this season were pretty poor. Um, we, we, the league cup final was just before this um, second game uh, between Rangers and Celtic. And uh, obviously Rangers played Duddy United in that final. But we'd gone out to Hearts at Celtic Park uh, and um, almost immediately before this second visit to Ibrox, we'd also gone out to the Scottish Cup, uh, which you'll probably remember, John, because we had a last-minute equaliser up at Bataudry for Jan Venegar Hesselink. And we all thought, oh, good, well, we survived that trip, we'll get him in the replay. And then lost one now at Celtic Park. <laughs> Believe it or not, because of um, other events, I don't have any fond recollections of that win over Celtic because I feared what was going to happen in the semi-final. Uh, had we done what we should have done, um, in my opinion, um, it would have meant something that win at Celtic. It meant absolutely nothing because of the way the semi-final happened. Um, it was, I mean, credit to Queen of the South, they deserved their day. And I think what I think what my fear was that a lot of Aberdeen fans were getting carried away. Think that yeah, let's plan for fair. We can't wait for the final. And you think you've still got a game to play. This is where it can all um, end up. And what confirmed my suspicions about the players' approach was that Jimmy Caldwell a couple of days later says, "I never saw that result coming." Well, clearly you've underestimated the opposition and not done your homework. And see, every time we got level, that because Queen's South went ahead, we went we got level. They went two one up, we got level. They went three two up, we got level. Every time we got level, we think right, let's kick on, but we never did. And then the other moment that sticks out, Stephen Dobby came off injured and John Stewart was coming on. Aberdeen fans are like sarcastically cheering them on. And I said to my mate, he's going to go and score the winning goal. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And we've also talked that it's been 30 years since Aberdeen won the Scottish Cup. That was by far our best opportunity. 
um, to win the Scottish Cup that year because mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe had we beat Gwynedd South in that semi-final we'd have went on to win the Cup because Rangers coming in the season were absolutely knackered um, but, especially when uh, you'd just beaten us as well yeah because mm-hmm. yeah, we beat beaten the last day of the season and it was spoilers. a comfortable win spoilers we're not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll come on to that later. But no, nah, it was a big opportunity loss for Aberdeen um, that day. But yeah, it looked as though Rangers were going to go and take another step to the treble because um, they won the league. lost the other as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, we'll come back to the other game because I want to talk about the League Cup final first. Um, because I think Dundee United were robbed. Um, I was mad, care. So they went one 0 up, and uh, they should have had a penalty to make it two 0 And Quayle should have walked because it was a goal scoring opportunity, and the ref just went playing. And it was it was so much a stone waller. I still can't believe it wasn't given. Um, but what ended up happening was Chris Boyd came off the bench, played twenty minutes, was absolutely blown out his arse uh, to the point he was too lazy coming out of uh, an attacking position. But United played a pass next to it to him. Yeah. He got the weight equaliser. Um, I mean, to be fair, Dunn United took the lead an extra time as well uh, and, and lost it again. Again to Boyd. Was, that was a, a well worked goal for Boyd. Um, and then lost the penalty shootout and ended up. But the, it all goes back to that penalty that Dunn United should have had in, in regular time in the, in the second half. And for me, that was. I, I don't know what Kenny Clark was thinking that day. I wonder how your, your mind uh, shapes these memories because I can't remember that at all. I can remember the, the Boyd, uh, the, the pass back term, uh, because, as you say, because he was too lazy. And that was one of his main strengths, Boyd. Uh, mm-hmm. There was times in his uh, career he tried to correct that and he was never the same player when he was dropping to the halfway line and trying to uh, drop deep and, and link play. You, you wanted him to be lazy. And around about the penalty box, and in that instance, it was it was perfect for him. Yeah, definitely, he had was done. that the one when it was too hot for him? No, that <laughs> that was Falkirk the following season. Um, right. Yeah, because uh, nearly forty-year-old David Weir lasted the full game, and uh, Chris White had to come off at half time because it was too hot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's that's brilliant. That too hot, aye. <laughs> It's just as well for him that he's retired and that last weekend's um that you know, had there been any football last weekend it would have been too hot from then because last weekend was scorching. Yep. <laughs> but, yep. But yeah, um and in Europe Rangers again march on. Um no another nil nil at home um against the uh, Sport and Lisbon, but away from home, you've got to give him credit for getting a two 0 back saying uh Stephen Whitaker um scores an incredible solo run. Aye, uh, th- th- this was my memories of this one was that uh, it was mostly Rangers playing the what in actual. But this was probably the game they got it absolutely bang on because it was more it was more about Rangers' ability to counter attack than it was to not concede goals. Um, and that's it was those two goals were, were, were great, especially the Whitaker one. Um, that's that's the main memory for that game. Whitaker always uh, always impressed me that he wasn't. He was never a, a winger who would do big step overs, but he, he played like a, a very good five a side player that he could read the tackle coming in really well and almost walk past somebody at times. And it takes a, a real skill to do that, and that goal especially. 
was it was a good example of that. He just he was able to read everything perfectly and make it look effortless. It was it was lovely. I used to really like Whitaker, and it's it's a shame because I've seen him recently, and you think that that would should never leave you the reading of the game, and you should be getting even better at it. But I've just not seen that from him. Uh, maybe I've not seen him enough because he's not wearing a Rangers shirt. Yeah. Well, he's. I mean, he was playing left wing, um, because Rangers were playing centre um, centre backs. Um, Kurt Broadfoot at right back and Sasa Papach as left back. Sasa Papach was, was really solid as a left back, having been bought as a centre back before. Um, but yeah, he did a did a sterling job that night. What he kept playing in the on the wing and obviously got Rangers through. Um, so we've mentioned that Rangers were starting to extend the lead. Celtic lost to Motherwell. It's not looking good. Then comes um, the rearranged old firm game at yeah. um, Celtic Park. It's just an incredible night. Before we get to that, we may, we may as well set the scene because that Motherwell game was that was when everybody chucked up. Um, there was well, Celtic were booed off the park for it. There was chance of striking the goal. Um, and this was when, to be fair, I don't think anybody realised quite how serious things were going on in the backroom staff because this was Neil Lennon's first game back. Um, he'd retired from playing football. His last game for Celtic was the Scottish Cup final in 2007. Um, and then he'd left, I think he went to Forest a wee bit. Pretty much done as a Celtic player, but he was back again as first team coach for taking over for Tommy Burns. I don't think. I don't think most people realise just how serious it was for Tommy Burns at this point in time, but the fact that they brought Lennon back, I think he was back in a day, um, and, and he came into this Motherwell game, um, so he must have wondered what he was coming back to. Um, but... But did Rangers not draw with Dundee United the next day as well? Which they, probably they did, aye, so... I, I sat here on the phone working out exactly how this all panned out, um, because we obviously lost at Ibrox, and then lost at Motherwell, um, so we were six points behind having played two more games after that Motherwell game now the first of those was obviously a Dundee United game the next game next day when Rangers drew so that was seven behind but still haven't played a game more but then because Rangers were playing in Europe uh, Celtic were able to get more games under their belt um, during this time so we had the next game we played was away to Motherwell which we won convincingly um, so I don't know whatever happened in the next few days of Neil Lennon being a coach but it seemed to work quite well um, so that was back to just four points behind having played two more games now and then we had the first uh, game at Celtic Park was in Celtic Rangers I can't remember if I, this might have been the rearranged one from the new year it was um, so yeah this was this was in uh, Nakamura Um to outscore James McFadden by scoring for a uh, massive distance. The, the thing that always gets me about that Nakamura goal, though, is um, he manages to turn a very poor ball from Gary Caldwell into the most tremendous ever first touch because it sets him up perfectly to just ping it. And the, I was at the game and I sat, I sat behind, I was sitting behind that goal that Nakamura scored. Didn't so I seen the swerve on it. It was phenomenal. There is not a chance any goalkeeper is saving that ever. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I am. Oh, McGregor had about as much to say as I did. Uh, it's a phenomenal strike. Uh, probably one of the best goals I've seen in person. Uh, I'm not just saying that because of the occasion, but it's just, that is, <laughs> I, you can watch that goal all day just for it. Swearing. Probably not if you're a Rangers fan, obviously, but uh, it's, it's a phenomenal technique. Well, I say it's it's the touch from the poor pass from Caldwell that always gets me. Yeah, 
because he's got his stretch to get it and it sets him up perfectly. Nova's uh, goal was pretty then, good that night. Aye, because yeah. right, Rangers get back into the game um, and then <laughs> oh, I need to credit it. Um, there, was a, there was a lad back then where I don't know if anybody remembers Justin TV. It was a kind yeah, of video yeah. kind of thing. Ah, right. yes. Uh-huh. So there, there was a, there was a guy who would... Yeah. Aye, exactly. So what, back to 2008, it's not bad technology, that's why. Um, but there was a guy who was doing his own commentary for Celtic, which is ironic for me saying this. Um, but he did his own for, uh, commentary of this game that night. And as you remember, Nakamura nearly scored a second goal in this game, um, where he, he, chipped, he was chipping the ball into the top corner. And Carlos Queller punches it away off the line. Um, it's, a great the referee, save. Right, it's a great save. The referee rightly spots that. It's a, he's obviously stopped a goal. He's got to go. He's got to get it. <laughs> the commentary for this lad is brilliant. Uh, player of the year, now he's a dick. It's, it's just, it's just I, I, I put it on every so often just to have a laugh. Because um, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's almost legendary among certain fans these days. Um, it's, it's, it's a laugh. But um, fun enough, I don't know what happened, but Alan McGregor was injured at this point and still saved the penalty. I don't, do you remember how you got into Yeah, I can't. I can't remember that. That, but I can obviously remember the handball incident being raging because uh, normally in that situation you're like, look, you've been sent off and they're going to score the penalty. So what is the point in doing that? Just let it go in, play on, and we've got at least got eleven men. Uh, but no, I can't remember the actual penalty itself. It's not that bad a penalty. I mean, it's, it's heading towards the corner, but you know what Al McGregor was like for the penalty save penalties. If you're not putting it right in the corner, he's got a chance. Right. Um, yeah. And even the, apparently, even when he's injured, because he went off slightly after this. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. when the winning goal goes in, it's not Hamilton goal now. Um, so the ball comes again. Gary Cobble was involved in the goal because uh, he plays the ball long forward. McDonald plays it across the goal. Very good hustle. No, it's in the corner in the, like, the 92nd minute or whatever it was. Um, I think the third minute apparently. Uh, and that gives us the win that we needed. Um but aye, it was it was it was one hell of a night. That night, Craig, did you fear that the tide was starting to turn or were you still quietly confident you would do enough? Considering all the games that you had to play in every day yeah. ending the way. That was yeah. That was uh, that was building up in the mind and as yeah, uh, I can't remember it exactly if it was if it was at that moment uh, when there was just the whole rearranged Celtic game was sticking in the the mind. The fact that the, there seemed to be this resistance to extend the the league if the unthinkable would happen that we did go all the way in the European competition. I think it was it was the whole everyone's against us. Uh, feeling and I think that got on to the, the players as well unfortunately uh, despite uh, I think some public comments from uh, Smith at the time uh, that they, they were never going to ask for an extension or, or anything like that they were, I think I think it was not to get to them mentally that it was just it didn't matter really what they did because there was just so many games it's just a, a ridiculous amount of games that they ended up playing in that such short space of time and that was even yeah, with so, uh, uh, an extension. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you, you still have fans um, saying today, "Oh, we never got the extension of the, the, the league." 
technically Scottish football wasn't extended because the Scottish Cup final still took place on the date it was due to take place. Um, it was the, the league itself was extended enough to be able to fit the games in. And what Rangers' schedule was massive at this point. I mean, you look at the games that they played uh, at the end of that season, they had, what, six league games in May, um, plus obviously they had the UEFA the Cup final itself, um, plus the Scottish Cup final. Um, I mean, you, you, we laugh now because December seems to be crammed to full of games just about every season for Celtic and Rangers, where they play like eight games and across the... The, the busy freezing cold period um, I think I'd rather have 8 games in May to be honest but um, not with a knackered at the end of the season you know and not, I mean, I mean was, the, the argument was that Rangers should have had a bit of a benefit here because they were representing Scottish football in a showpiece final and never got it I yeah, think I think it's a shame that we didn't we didn't learn from that yeah I, I could see why I could see that there's an argument to say no like well these are the rules the rules are set at uh, the outset and we're not going to change them but it would have been nice to, to come away from that and say oh you know what maybe we should have changed things so let's do that now yeah. going forward we're going to set up a rule that, that says something like if we have a team get into the, the semi-finals or something we'll, we'll give them extra time because other countries do it but we didn't make we didn't make any changes. We just said right, well that's it. Almost forgotten about right. We we didn't really change stuff. We we gave you a slight extension, but we didn't really change stuff. We're just going to stick with the rules the way they are. I think yeah. the problem I mean, was, um, in my, in my opinion, I think the problem was, um, because of circumstances we spoke about before. We talk about the the rearranged um, thing. Samaritan Rangers was postponed in November um, to help the national team. That game actually became Rangers' penultimate game, as it turned out, which is incredible. Um, there was then Rangers wanting the game postponed to against Gretna to help their Champions League chances, um, and they got they got that grant. Then there was the, the Phil O'Donnell scenario, and then there was a game against uh, East Stirling, which, you know, um, it's, a, it's a bit rubbish um, from Rangers' point of view. They, they couldn't get, fulfil a fixture um, because of waterlock pitch. They didn't have the necessary facilities to stop that pitch getting waterlogged, but that's another issue. But because of all that, and then other subsequent I think another Mullow Rangers game get postponed because of waterlock pitch because of the problems Mullow having. I think they just didn't know how they could fit it in if I'm being honest and I think they, but that, that's just my, my take I might be wrong but I think that was the problem it was where you were going to fit it in because after when the Scottish Cup final was played which I think was like the 24th 25th of May something like that and then two or three weeks later was the Euros were starting so you had, it was just difficult when to fit it in yeah and the, the, the point that Craig makes is that I haven't learned any lessons is absolutely spot on because yeah, you even look yeah. at this season the Rangers St Johnson game was never rearranged yeah <laughs> And the only reason that was postponed is because Rangers played, got to the, the League Cup final. And then obviously we're playing in Europe and had, I think, like Celtic, who also got to that same final, managed to rearrange their game to midweek that Rangers couldn't do because they were playing the Friday night or something. Yeah, yeah. And then St. So Johnson arguably benefited. Yeah, in fact, they did, because St. were given the, the top six out of it because they never played yeah. that game. Although they might have won at Ibrox anyway, the Rangers, the Rangers were playing. Yeah, it's just they do seem to be cramming them in because that yeah that St Johnson game had been around for so long and there was never an end in sight there they they could never really they they didn't have any date earmarked I don't think 
Uh, they were talking about playing it after were the we, were, but then it was going to be awkward because they might not have made the, the top six. Yeah. The, the way they were talking about it, it was as if they were just kind of hoping Rangers would get knocked out of Europe and that would solve the problem. Because mm-hmm. until Rangers were knocked out of Europe, they still had to keep those midweeks free in case Rangers kept going to get progression. And that was just going to get played down. But I think that's maybe what they hoped would happen in this season, that Rangers would eventually get knocked out of Europe and then those three weekends or those three midweeks could be used for the games that Rangers had to make up. But it never happened in this state because Rangers made it all the way to Europe for free. Yeah. yeah, so you could argue Rangers um, created their own problems by doing so well in Europe and well in the cup competitions. Because uh, yeah. I think there was a couple of replay games as well. The, the, the Hibs game went to a replay, and the Partick Thistle game also went to a replay. So you had those replays to fit in as well. In fact, Rangers were yeah. playing the quarter final replay against Partick Thistle after Queen South Reach's Scottish Cup final. Mm-hmm. I think that was another factor in rearranging the season, by the way, was the fact that Queen of the South played their last league game about four weeks before the Scottish Cup final, so they didn't play anything before. <laughs> yeah. I know. Anyway, back to the UEFA Cup. Rangers then remarkably get to fail, um after two goalless draws. Um, they get through 4 3 and penalties against Fiorentina, and like Peter Drury, the ITV commentator, says, Look out, Manchester Rangers are coming. Um, mm-hmm. And then what was it? What was it? Um, 150, 200,000 fans. You know, we, we joke about the Seville calculator. I think it's similar for Manchester. Um, Craig, were you down for Manchester for yeah. the final? So I never, I never got a. a, a I, I was unable to, to buy a ticket. A, I knew some folk who who managed to get tickets. There was a, there was a, a couple of buses going down, and there was a competition at my work. No, no. It was a competition. There was a Canon supplied our printers, and they were one of the sponsors of the UEFA Cup. So they said that they had a, a ticket going for the final, and they would do a wee competition in the office. Our manager was pretty good, and he never kept any of the freebies for himself. He would uh, share them out. So they did a wee name out the hat type thing, and it was uh, a guy, a Celtic fan, who won. And this Celtic fan was the type of person that would remind me pretty much every morning that Messi had talked about Rangers playing anti-football and how Rangers would get football stopped. And, and we had a good rivalry together and he ended up giving me the ticket uh, because, well, he, he definitely wasn't going to go himself. So he gave me a ticket. So I got uh, <clears throat> a lift down with my mate uh, and it was brilliant. The whole occasion, the whole event was brilliant. See, driving down to Manchester, there was uh, flags on the, the flyovers going down. There was a, there was a shortage of buses because there was so many folk wanting to go down that there was uh, loads of limos on the motorways. It was really weird. You stopped off at the services and it was just one big party. Folk pissing in hedges and so on because they'd be drinking in these buses and, and limos and, and, and couldn't make it to the services' toilets. It, it was brilliant. Uh, so I got to Manchester... And uh, I was uh, the plan was that I wasn't going to stay because I couldn't get anywhere. I was going to get on a bus home uh, with my mate. Uh, so I got there. One mate drops me off in the middle of the city centre and I went to try and get some beer. No, all the places were sold out of beer. Uh, folk were walking about with crates of beer on their shoulder and that was just to themselves. It was madness. There was uh, a bit out of, uh, is it? 
Piccadilly Gardens. Whatever it is, there was a, there was a, a, there was a, where the big screen was. It got switched off. To get in there, you had to go through security, and security wasn't bothered about you taking a whole crate of beer in as long as it wasn't glass. And obviously, there was plenty of bucky on the go, so it was just glasses everywhere, bottles just ditched down quickly, ditched, and then folk would fire in there and then buy more pints. It was a beautiful day for it. It was just madness. And I had all of this uh, madness. And then around about tea time, the whole corporate thing kicked in. And I, I went, got picked up, went for a meal, went for a Chinese, and then went through the, the stadium. And I was actually quite jealous. Although I was going to the game, although I was going to sit in the fancy seats, I kind of wanted to be in the fan zone. Because it just, it was such a great party atmosphere. This was before it all kicked off, obviously. Uh, so went to the game and uh, the game, we all know what happened there. And then afterwards, I got a lift back from a guy from the, the corporate thing back into the town centre. And I hadn't really appreciated what was what had went on. And oh, fuck it. It was a war zone. Was, I remember driving past one of the, it was like a Subaru or something that had just pretty much been torched. Uh, you've, you've probably seen pictures of it and there's riot police everywhere. And at this point, I couldn't get in touch with my mate. My mate's phone had turned off, so I had no way of getting home. So I was telling this guy, the corporate guy, saying, look, just drop me anywhere because I'll just need to hang about all night. The guy's like, no, there's riot police there. I'm, I'm not comfortable. Uh, so I then had to phone around all my mates. Luckily, I managed to find a mate who had a hotel room he was staying with his uh, dad, who was a, a bit older. And ended up sleeping on their floor. Uh, it was the same hotel that, uh, oh, who was it? There was some Rangers, uh, not Rangers players, ex-players there. Uh, I can't remember who it was there. But aye, it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, the, the game itself, I've, I've kind of glossed over that because... It just was so disappointing. But everything else about it that I experienced anyway was brilliant. Because uh, I, I skipped all the nonsense, really. The, even when, when I seen the riot police, they were really a bit late to the game. Uh, when I seen them, they, they were more blocking off streets. There wasn't any running riots or anything. So I luckily missed all of that. It's funny, I always wonder... Um, because obviously you went to the, the, the game of Manchester in 2008 and I was in Seville in 2003. And I always wonder what, what the kind of feeling is like for, for the, the different levels of disappointment. Because in this game, it was a 2-0 win for Zenit. Um, there, there wasn't much for Rangers fans to cheer at any point. It was just a kind of disappointing defeat at the end of uh, yeah. a campaign where you, when, when, the, the way you've got there is like there's been... Uh, away goals win and a penalty shootout for against Fiorentina and the kind of counter-attacking against Sporting uh, Lisbon and it, it was a different way from the way we got to Seville where it was all about outscoring the opposition at times and um, like games like, like Liverpool and a battle of Britain kind of thing and going to Anfield and winning 2-0 and uh, the, the, the early goals over in Stuttgart and things like that and then we got to Seville and um, but we we were always in that game that like, we came back for what a goal down twice uh, to take it to extra time and then obviously lost it in the end. But so I've got memories of the two goals that Larson scored that day and just that 
that feeling of hope and we're going, we're, we're, we've come back for that goal down, we're, we're back in the game, we've got a chance to go in now. Did you ever have any of that kind of feeling? And, no, was, is, is there any no. good memories from the game itself? No, uh, no, unfortunately not. There was, it just we went into it so so defensively, which had worked out so well. But just oh, on the night, it just I, I don't know why, but it just it didn't really click. They they were the, the much better side. Uh, I think I think Novo maybe was had one of the best chances for us. Uh, but like you had players like Broadfoot. Who I've touched on before, who's he's not a wing back, but he was getting told to stay back. He was I can't remember him going much further than the halfway line, and we really needed that. We really needed some some kind of push forward, and it just wasn't coming. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe one fond memory from the match was we were in the corporate. And uh, the bouncy was going on around the stadium, and everybody in the corporate was sitting on their arse. And I'd had a few beers, and I just thought, no, fuck this. And I was up jumping about, acting like a right tit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't get a chance to go to a European final very often, um, by all means, slap up. Um, <laughs> but no, it was. Um, yeah, it was the game itself, I think, from Rangers' point of view, is a dead rubber. But the biggest disappointment was the. The news that came afterwards about the um, about the fans, but the, those the, the news um, about what happened um, in the aftermath was put to Wednesday for 24 hours because um, we learned of the sad passing of uh, of Tommy Burns. Yeah, um, I mean, I went along to to the tributes at Celtic Park after that, and uh, there was quite a lot of Rangers fans were coming back from Manchester and stopping off and paying their respects as well. And actually, um, it was either just as I was arriving, they were just leaving, or just as I was leaving, they were arriving. But I passed Walter Smith and Alan McGoy. Again, they were on their way back from Manchester, obviously. So, um, and of course, uh, when we got to the funeral, uh, they two were, were, were pallbearers. Uh, just yeah, because of the obvious closeness that they had when they were on time. Been Walter Smith was a Scotland manager. Not many individuals that really transcend that rivalry, and uh, he was certainly one of them. There's a, a lot of respect from the, the Rangers side towards him. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. uh, the the thing that sticks out for me about this is just how the course of this season alone we went from that famous picture of Tommy Burns jumping on top with a pile of Celtic bodies. After we won this, the the penalty shootout in Spartak Moscow, to the final game of the season being played in his memory because he's gone. Um, it's just it, it bookends this season in a, in a way that you don't really want to be bookending it. But I mean that that picture's such an iconic one. The Tommy Burns jumping on it, 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 it just it really does express the joy. Um, um, Tommy's one of these guys that I don't think I appreciated him properly when he was alive. Obviously, he was like, he was manager of Celtic for a few years. I don't remember him as a player. I don't. I mean, I know he's part of the centenary season uh, team and obviously teams before that as well. But he, he was kind of done playing by the time I actually started getting into football. Um, and my memories of him as a manager is yes, he got us our first cup in six years but he never quite got over the line with the league even though the football that he played was great to watch he brought some great players into Celtic and um, it was always my memories of Tommy Burns as a manager just that disappointment of never quite 
winning the league. Um, but then he, like, he went away for a few years, Kenny Douglas brought him back after the Barnes fiasco and put him in charge of the youth development, which was a great move. Um, and he was working behind the scenes for many years after that under O'Neill, and then obviously Strachan brought him into the, the, the head coach kind of role as well. So, But I think I, what I read his autobiography, not his autobiography, I read his biography um, by Paul Cuddy, um well, after his death, and I was like, you read about the man, and I've got. A, I, I'm not a man of faith myself. I don't have a, a religious background in any way. But I read about the, the man with Tommy Burns, and it kind of makes me want. I think I've got. I've got that missing from my life. Um, he's just like he, he was a man that said himself, it was faith, family, and football in that order. Um, and you could the stories you hear about him since his passing, and the things you read about him, you, you can see that was absolutely true. And anybody that knew him, anybody that met him, always says the greatest of things about him. Um, and we should all be so lucky when it's our, our time comes that people speak about us so fondly. Definitely. I mean, I think what, you know, Craig, you mentioned the, the fact that um, he's one of these few people that probably bring out the the closeness, uh, more of a closeness between the, the two clubs um, because... You know, he was never better um, in anything he said against Rangers uh, or anything like that. It was just he was always just uh, conducted himself well, and I think that always makes a bit of a difference when um, when you hear about when, when you hear about these sad events. Um, but yeah, it was certainly a sad time, um, and it, as, as you touched on, Chris, it, um, it then Celtic's last day title win became a bit of a, a tribute. So the two sides went into the last day. Level in points. Um, I think the permutations were Rangers had to win by six goals or more at Bedodri. Um You know, just to go above Celtic if Celtic managed to win in the same night. Uh, and that was never going to happen, as we touched before. Aberdeen won quite comfortably. When Aberdeen got the first goal, Celtic was still nil nil, and I think that was the key for Celtic then to just lift themselves and then they got themselves over the line with the win they needed. Yeah. That was enough. It's funny because the build-up that got us to that game, I mean, um, we never really touched on the other... Um, no, we didn't. I was kind of breezed over it. Because we got that early goal um, and then Rangers pegged us back and actually took the lead um, in that game. And I, I remember thinking at that point, oh, that was slipping away from us again. Um, but we brought it back just before half-time um, and then there's obviously the famous... Robson Penalty, um, with he former Rangers player, um, scores a penalty from the spot. It's not even the greatest of penalties, it's, 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 in, it's in the net, so it counts. Everybody's happy with that, and he goes off just like fist pumping and all sorts, and that feeling was, um, was, was just exactly how it felt. And it obviously won the game, and then you're back with the calculators again because uh, the, the way it worked out that we played at one point during this run. Um, when we, we played Rangers the first time at Celtic Park that was to go a point behind them um, and then we beat Aberdeen and went two ahead but that was now three games more than we played Rangers this game meant we went five clear of Rangers having played three more and then we beat Motherwell to go eight points clear with four games more played um, again we go back to that point about the, the number of games that Rangers had to play in a short spell of time Um so, so you're talking eight points is a big gap but when there's as many as four games still to play you've got 12 to play for it's still in Rangers' hands and actually the way it worked out is um, 
Rangers drew with Hibs, so that was one game gone, and one gap was only down to seven. Uh, Rangers won the next two games before Celtic played again, so by the time we played, we were a point behind again, um, and we'd still played a game more. And then this was like Celtic's penultimate game. So we we played Hibs at Celtic Park, last home game of the season. I was in the corporate bit for some obscure reason. I think I got it through work or something like that, so that was a weird thing to go to the football in a certain time. Um, we won that game. That puts us four points clear with two games more played. So we're going into the last game of the season and we still don't know if it's in our hands or not. Um, so we needed Rangers to drop points somewhere, which they did because they were mullable. Um, as you say, they then played their game in hand against St Marin, went into that final game, level on points and six goals better off. Um, and it's, it's, it's been known as Helicopter Thursday. Um, reference back to the three years previous when obviously Helicopter Sundays when it's called Helicopter Sunday for the Rangers fans it's called Black Sunday for the Celtic fans um, but the helicopters are reference to the helicopter changing direction I think the helicopter's only mentioned in this one because we all watched the helicopter arrive with about 10 minutes to go in the game <laughs> um, and it's, it's funny because my, my memories I went up to Tannadice that night um, and it's the one and only time I've been up there and stood in the fair play stand. So when I want, usually I'm behind the goal. I like being in the shed. I've got time and days. Uh, it's probably my favourite of the away venues itself. Really. Um, I've occasionally been up in the Jerry Care stand, but never liked it because I would bang my knees in the seat in front of me. Um, but this was the one and only time I was in the fair play stand, which is like next to the Jerry Care stand, if you know time and days. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a newer stand they built it after the, the, the one that award in 87 for um, the UEFA Cup tie against Gothenburg uh, that's why it's called the fair play stand um, so I've got a side on view of the game and I took a radio with me and it's the one and only time I got to be that guy because I had the Rangers Aberdeen game on in my, my earphones so when Aberdeen score I'm the one that cheers and everybody looks around at you uh, what are you talking about <laughs> something's happened because that happened before we scored so Aberdeen take my lead I've cheered obviously everybody else starts cheering around but it was just for that brief moment I will never forget the look as everybody looks around at me because I'm the only one that heard it so there's that look that brief look of expectancy before they realise why I'm cheering (laughs) I had the the exact opposite (laughs) a good night it was a shite Thursday it's uh, probably summed up by Novo getting sent off and then I'm sure I remember him banging his chest or something. It's just oh, like, fuck off, just, just go. Oh, yeah. The slim hope is gone now that you've threw the toys out of the pram. It was an go. awful challenge because he jumped over the ball into Stuart Duff's buzz. <laughs> it was all the frustration. Dreadful all challenge. The frustration and he made a similar tackle against Hibs early in the season, jumping over the ball to get to a man. Uh, I, he's, he's one of those that sometimes he just wants to play to the fans he's like right the game's over Let, let's let's be a, a, a real real diehard fan here and, and do this and then pump your chest and I'm sure he had a brown as well it's a... <laughs> <laughs> the, the weird thing I do remember about that game though is at one point, I'm sure I misheard the radio because I thought Xander Diamond had scored the goal. It was obviously Lee Miller that scored that, but that, what, so there was a few minutes I was looking around going, it was Xander Diamond, he's a Celtic fan of the ball. It's pure just going to be done. I think Xander did um, 
over celebrate like, <laughs> because he was standing in the position where um, the Rangers fans happened to be. So when the ball hits the net, Lee Miller and the rest of the teammates are heading in one direction towards their fans in the main stand. Xander Diamond's turned to worse where the Rangers fans are in the south stand. Um, but yeah, it was that was Xander all over. Um, but yeah, so Aberdeen ended the season well. wasn't a good end of the season in the league for Rangers' point of view, but they did get the console. Consolation of winning the, the Scottish Cup a couple of days later against a, a Queen South side who just didn't get going until the second half. I think the lack of match sharpness. I mean, Rangers were overtired. Queen of South didn't have enough sharp, sharpness. <laughs> but still, they did have a good final. 3 2. I think it was too much for Rangers at that point. There'd just been too much emotion. Because you only had to go back a few days when it could have been a well a quadruple, I guess. Mm-hmm. They they could have won it all, and then going into that when there's always that nag in the back of your mind that well running on empty, this could be a, a league cup only. It could be such a disappointing week. Uh, I it was it was tough times. It's funny because I've I've went. As I said earlier, this is the season that broke me as far as watching Rangers in Europe was concerned. Um, so I didn't see the penalty shootout against Fiorentina and I didn't watch the UEFA Cup final either. Um, partly because I never did want Rangers to win it. Uh, but also because I was making excuses for myself. So I had I, I was sitting in an exam a couple of days after the UEFA Cup final. So I, instead of watching the game, I was studying um, and then like I, I kind of checked and when I knew it was going to be full time I checked what the score was between Zenit and 1-2-0 so that was fine the Scottish Cup final was another game I missed I know obviously it's not in Europe at this point but I missed the game because I was working that weekend on a very very rare occasion I had to work a Saturday um, so that was another one I had to check the score to see what was happening and I checked at half time and obviously the Rangers were winning 2-0 pretty much that's that done then and then I went back and checked it about 20 minutes or 25 minutes or so in the second half and I said to Queen of we pulled it back to two each and so I was getting all excited and thought oh that's maybe really good <laughs> but uh, I wasn't it be I think uh, like Queen of the South as you say never get going to the second half Um and then when they did get that pulled back so quickly in the second half, their tails were up. And then oh, it was a boy beat the winner. Boy yeah, seems to get the winner both finals, that's what. Because uh, you get the winning penalty against Dunny Hyde, he was on. Um, and then Boyd gets the winner. And that just seemed to be too much for Queen of the South at that point. I mean, like I said earlier, Queen of the South hadn't played in four weeks. Um, whereas Rangers had played about 14 times in the last four weeks or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So, aye, it was, it was just that one step too far for Queen of the South um, to, to, to lose that third goal. Um, I don't know if they had any chances to take the lead in this game. Um, but if you if you want a little if you want a little um, start for this one, that John Fleck came on in this game about five minutes ago and became the youngest player ever to play in a Scottish Cup final. That's sixteen years, two hundred seventy-four days. And I remember he was set up for a, a goal as well. It was one of those almost like a, a five-a-side one when they, they, were, they were willing him to score rather than the team to score. Uh, I can't remember exactly who it was that laid it off for him, but I remember it standing out. And Fleck at that time uh, was was the next best thing. He, he was 
huge news for Rangers, for Scotland. It really was a case of let's nurture him. He is going to be the big player for us for the next 15 years, maybe even more because he was so young when he when he broke through. And yeah, he's, he's, he's now got a, a solid career down south, but for a long time he'd, he'd disappeared from most people's radar and everybody thought perhaps he'd, something had went wrong behind the scenes. I think there was because um, there was when he started getting a couple of games the following season, there was... He was getting kicked out of nightclub, um, you know, f- but he shouldn't have been in the first in the first place because he was under eighteen when he was in that nightclub. Um, but there was there were stories that uh, you know when he was at high school, there was some that Rangers, you know, getting, you know, taking him taking him down in a taxi and, and his breaks they were they were meeting him for his breaks, so, so he wasn't really spending time with his, with his mates and stuff like that. Uh, you don't know what to believe because these are just hearsay, but. You wonder if Rangers tried too much, or if you know his head just um, went off the rails. But it's good to see him doing well for himself now. Um, yeah, coming yeah. a bit of a late developer that way. He's learned, you know, going through the leagues in England with Coventry and then Sheffield United, and um, whether he'll become a mainstay in the Scotland teams is another question because we've got that's an area, unfortunately, for him that we are quite well off um, for good players. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Billy Gilmer who's coming through to which will probably harm him if um, Gilmer continues his development when this um, pandemic's all over. Yeah, oh yeah, Gilmer's another one that you just hope that the the hype doesn't get to him. I think that he seems he seems to be handling it really well mm-hmm. uh, because it's even it's even more of a focus when you're down south. You've got you've got the world on looking. John Fleck was a, a big fish in Scotland. But yeah, Gilmore, he's setting the, the Premier League in a light. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's hope in a few years that we're talking about, um, you know, we're looking back at a season where Billy Gilmore breaks soon helps Scotland to major finals. Um, so that was a season of hope. We've just got a couple of quick, just as a wee mini quest, see what you recall from this season. Just five quick questions. Oh. So first of all... Um, no, no. Who scored Scotland's second goal in their win over Lithuania, the 3-1 game? Ooh. I have no chance. You know, I don't think I'm going to be able to answer any of these. My memory is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, McFadden? No. McFadden got the third. It's got to be somebody back in it, like Colby or something. Well, yeah. you're right club wrong player, Steve McManus. Oh, right, okay. Um, so question two, um, we haven't really mentioned this team much, because um, this was Hearts under Romanov. How many managers did um, Hearts go through that campaign? Right, so, no Romanov, it's more than one. <laughs> um, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll be cautious and go two. Yeah, you're I'll right. Yeah, you're both right. Oh. And and Anatoly Korobotsky and Stephen Frame. Yeah. See, they, they um, were the, the banter. A lot of people say that the Rangers years were the banter years. But I think because I'm a Rangers fan, I think I'm going to focus on the Hearts banter years and say those were the banter years. They're still going. Yeah, aye. I thought that they turned a corner. I thought Budge was actually a really, really good thing for Scottish football. Well, she, she, she made a good business moment, but she knows nothing about football. 
yeah. it was good for a while, but then um, I think her sat and I took her the wrong way. Um, but <laughs> that's a story for another day. Um, so question three. Mentioned Daniel's transfer window. Daniel Cousin was lined up for a £3 million move to which Premier League side before it fell through? And I think it was something that he wasn't allowed to move for a second time. Something like that. No, I'll give you a close club in it, was, it was on the top of my tongue. Was it West Ham? No, Fulham. Oh. We tried to say Rangers again in 2011. Sorry, 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Minnesota's went up. That's right. Forgot about that. Ah, he went to Hull the following season. Um, scored oh. against Arsenal and then disappeared. Yeah. Um, question four. Gretna versus Inverness became the lowest attended top flight game of all time. Um, how many went? A, 331, B, 431, C, 531, or D, 631? I'm moving over a lot. What the 300? It was 431. And a dog. And 10 pigeons. There's always a dog. There's always a dog. When was the minimum? Was that was that the, the in the rules you had to have a it went down from ten thousand to six thousand, um, which was why they were ground sharing. But um, all four hundred and thirty-one fans were crammed in the main stand at Fir Park. Well, I say crammed. They're probably social distancing then as well. Um, but who's going to make that journey? That's for a for a, a side that doesn't have. The, the huge support. Who's going to make that? Gretna were relegated by then as well, and Inverness were pretty much consigned to the bottom six at that point. Even so. Motherwell fans don't want to go to Motherwell. Motherwell's <laughs> well, not that bad a place. <laughs> um, and last question: um, Who won the players and football writers players of the year respectively? You do. Yeah, he won the players one. Who won the writers one? Samaras. No, it was a Rangers player. It's the Quella, was it? Weird. It was Quella. Yeah. It was Quella. Well, yes. Yes, yes, it was. So, exactly. Player of the year, then he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it came from. <laughs> I thought it was a previous year he'd been like no, he was only there for one season and he went to Aston Villa for 8-9. Oh, this, this, this is the thing. Rangers accumulated nearly £30 million for Boomsong, Hutton and Quayla within like, a th- three-year period. You wonder how they ended up in the position they did. But... I think he always lived within the means. They thought their means was bigger than it was. <laughs> So that's why I like having you on. You're an, you're an honest Rangers fan. You're not better. You, you just tell it as it is. It's fair play to you. Uh, so just to be uh, complete, because we are a Scottish Football Forums podcast, not just Celtic Rangers and Aberdeen and all that, uh, just to complete how the season went on the, the war weeks, because the Gretna obviously got relegated and they went bust. Um, so they were, that, that meant there was a few unusual bits happened in the World League. So Hamilton came up that year um, as champions of the First Division. Queen of the South obviously went into Europe the following season because <laughs> uh, of the, uh, the, the, the defeat in the Cup final. Still and Albion were relegated to the Second Division. Um, Clyde were in the playoff. Uh, they did win it 
um, and they beat Airdrie United in the final, but Airdrie United also went up, as was their one. Airdrie, this happened a lot to Airdrie, from what I remember, yeah. in the, the leagues. Every time somebody went bust, Airdrie were the team that benefited, yeah. which was unusual because Airdrie himself were quite bank. Um, so I don't like they kill the souls of other clubs, I think, <laughs> for, them to, for their own good. Um, so I said this when Matt Lawrence was on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so they, they went up uh, alongside Ross County over the, the, the champions of the second division. Uh, going down from the second division was Berwick Rangers who got relegated and Cowden Beast lost in the playoffs. Again, there was a I had to make up the numbers thing. So East Fife went up as champions. Um, I think our both were the one that won the playoff, and then Stranraer also came up having lost the playoff. Um, so that was the two that, that came up for now and um, most significant was the fact East Stirling didn't finish bottom it was fourth for Athletic to finish bottom so East Stirling avoided um, a sixth consecutive bottom of the division and Anna and Athletic yeah. were elected into the Football League yeah they replaced Kretner is there anything else that you want to talk about from that season? And over, from over to us, but season. Uh, mm, no, oh, I don't think Johnson so. Johnson won the Challenge Cup. Who won the Challenge Cup? St. Johnson. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. right. Uh, they used to be my big team, didn't they? St. Johnson back in the day. Ah, uh, yeah. Who you go for in Europe? <laughs> that's it, exactly. I had uh, great times <laughs> following them in, in their European that's... travels in Perth. It used to be a highlight to find out what pies they were doing this week because they were always good for that exactly. pie. Yep, <laughs> yep. It's, uh, I, it's funny how times changed that, that back then it was uh, Rangers being back in the, the uh, top tier, Rangers being in Europe in, in June was was a, a pipe dream. But yeah, and now here we are. Yeah, it's, it's incredible the, the times um, but as I say before the um, pandemic I think the fact Celtic Rangers were both doing well in the Europa League and then getting both through the next last six, um, last 32 Rangers last 16 um, was about as, as good as it's been since 2007-2008 but in, in terms of the national team at least we've got the hope of a playoff when eventually that comes up UEFA um, have been quite quiet they said September originally Um I personally hope they postpone that to like March or something because it was Scotland's first sellout for three years and now it's looking like the prospect of being played in front of Nibde. Yeah, or or they're they're talking some, like Rangers are actually saying they're hopeful of having some fans in when the the new league starts. Uh, And if that's the case, how are you going to decide to to, to only hand out just a few thousand tickets? For, for a game that uh, people have bought tickets for it, whether it's Rangers that bought the season tickets, whether it's Scotland, the, the, you, how do you then just say, oh, I sorry about that, but you're only going to get in. One in ten years are going to get in? Maybe even less than that. It's the uncertainty um, that's yeah. the biggest problem. Um, and that just goes for society. I mean, um, you know... My son personally is, you know, asking when he wants to see, when he gets to see his, his cousins and his friends again. And to be frank, as much as I, I like my football, that's not the most important thing right now. Yeah, 
Definitely. Yep. Yeah. No, that was that was a good um, round up of um, you know, 2007, 2008. Um, next week in the podcast, um, we've got. David Robertson um, coming on, so we'll get two f bombs that night. So John's got more, <laughs> well, more of met, met his match. So get, let's get the bleep machine ready, and uh, then we've got a Euro. It's actually now turning into um, a Euro '92 and Euro '96 um, throwback um, because it came out the day that the BBC are showing all of Scotland's games from Euro '92. So we're going to cover both the Scotland's European Championship adventures. This week's homework should be good. Well, I enjoyed tonight. I enjoyed it better than talking about Celtic bursting Rangers ten in a row. <laughs> we just have a ten them. We made sure of that in ninety seven, ninety eight. That's what you Chris, you were getting you were getting called all sorts when I was thinking <laughs> of this. I thought you'd done it on purpose on the wind up. <laughs> James, no, I enjoyed this last no. Um no, thanks again. Yeah, it was good. Aye, thanks for having me back. You're welcome back uh, anytime. Oh, absolutely. Cheers. Right, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>